Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. some very important things that a church needs to understand about her pastor. But first of all, let's take a look at our, our key passage of Scripture where Jesus founded the church in Matthew chapter 16. This is not on the Bible app. I do uh, sort of apologize for that. It's been, it's been a week. Um, so you'll have to actually look in your Bibles or pull up your apps and find the Scripture. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others, <coughs> excuse me, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you, <coughs> you guys that have been with me this whole time, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, right, he's the guy that wrote the two letters, First Peter and Second Peter. He was in the sailboat with Jesus. He was on the, uh, there's a, there's a, story of the mount. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. He was with Jesus a lot. He's one of Jesus' inner circle. He's part of Jesus' small group, okay? He says, uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he himself gave some, we're now we're going to go to Ephesians, that was Jesus starting the church, and now Jesus is going to organize the church here through Paul, and we see something here, we see he himself, Jesus, gave uh, some to be apostles. The apostles today, I believe, are found in the New Testament, they're found in the the apostolic letters, the epistles of Paul, the epistles of Peter, the epistles of John. The epistle just means letter, okay? Those are the apostles that we have today. There's not, they're not running around still, okay? We find them in the Bible. And he, and he gave some prophets. And again, the Bible is where we find those that foretell uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see the book of Revelation is a book of prophecy uh, and we see the, the prophets of the Old Testament, and he gave some evangelists. Those are still active today in the church, and, and sometimes evangelists will go church to church to encourage local churches to stay on task, to stay on mission. Uh, some evangelists are within the local church. I look at Peter Clow. He has the gift of evangelism. There's others in this church that have that gift of evangelism. And then finally, we're going we're gonna to hone in on this and some pastors and teachers. Pastor, teacher is an office of the church. And this is what my responsibility is uh, to the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, edifying, kind of an old word, uh, edifying just very simply means build up, right? For the building up of the body of Christ. And maybe you're new to faith and you're new to the Bible and you're wondering, what is the body of Christ? The body of Christ is the church. You are the body of Christ. You're his hands, his feet, his arms, his legs, his heart, and his mind. We are the representative body of Christ on the earth today. That's how the world sees Christ. He sees Jesus in us. They see Jesus in us or they don't see him. And that's the importance of us walking worthy of the calling of being a Christian. And, uh, and so we are, we are to equip, pastor teachers are to equip the church to build up the church in a couple of different ways. First of all, today we have trunk or treat. Come on, guys. Work with me here. We got trunk or treat today uh, from four to six. If you haven't signed up to bring a trunk, there's still time for you to bring a trunk. Come on down. We have the candy, and we need some more people. We need some more cars. We need some more trunks. And I hope that uh, if you are free from four to six, that you'll come down here and provide a trunk. It doesn't even have to be super decorated. Just give a tiny little bit of effort and be a blessing to our community and the kids that come. And part of the reason we're doing that 
is to build up the church by bringing people to Christ. Everyone on their way outside of this, this trunk or tree event is going to get one of our brochures, and the brochure has the gospel of Jesus Christ linked into it. And so I hope that you will consider that. We build up the church by bringing people in, by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, by sharing our testimony, but we also build up the body of Christ by blessing others within the body. Uh, someone is, a, is, is, is he's like a, a secret gift giver in the church right now. And he's, he's out, he's, and listen, this is, this is the, he's trying to build up the body of Christ. He gives me gifts, and he says, give these gifts to somebody. He puts a name on them, and I, it's not my name, but sometimes I give them to the people that he says to give them to. No, all the time I give them to the people. Folks, that's building up the body of Christ. That's building up the body of Christ when you see somebody in the church and they have a need. Speaking of that, uh, one of our, one of our um, elder saints, right, one of our senior saints is, is moving tomorrow morning, Peter. Are we meeting here? We're meeting there. If you'd like to help us move tomorrow morning, you're free. You're not working during the day. Peter Clow, the guy that gave the announcements, will be in the lobby right after the service. Go see Peter. Is that okay? All right, good. <laughs> um, because right now it's Peter and myself, I think Adam and Bob, uh, and we could use some stronger backs than mine. So that's, that's blessing the body. That's showing the senior saint that we love her, that we want to help her. Folks, you understand, you see somebody walking through the church and they're struggling and they're having a hard time, and, and you, you, you approach that person and you love them where they're at, and you bless them with your presence. We bless our church with our attendance, and, and there are so many different ways that you can edify the body of Christ, and, and my job as a pastor teacher is, again, to provide those for you and to teach you how to do it, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. As a, as a pastor teacher, I hope that I am preparing you for the judgment seat of Christ where you will stand before Jesus, the perfect standard, and you will measure up by the power of the Holy Spirit within you, living like Jesus. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. This, this is why we've been teaching this series, by the way. Because there are some in the church that are getting tossed to and fro like a little sailboat without its sail, a broken mass, and it's in a, it's in a stormy sea, and it's just going back and forth and back and forth with the, with the hot doctrine of the day, right? With the a hot preacher of the day. And, and instead of being grounded and anchored in the word of the living God, uh, there are people that are falling uh, for tricks that false teachers are peddling. That's why we were preaching on the church, because there are some that say the church uh, organized religion is false. There's nothing in the Bible that teaches organized religion. There's nothing in the Bible that teaches uh, that, that one man should be a pastor over a flock. And, and I hope that over the last several weeks you've seen how biblical it is to organize a church. It's absolutely biblical. It's absolutely scriptural. But these people, they sound spiritual, and I'll remind you again that everyone who sounds spiritual is not necessarily wholly spiritual. They may be seditiously spiritual, false doctrine. <clears throat> he goes on, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth for the body, for the edifying of itself in love. It's so powerful when we just talked about, hey, uh, if you'd like to participate in worshiping through giving, here's this passage of Scripture. Every part does its share. Every believer can give. I love how God does this. You could give a penny to the kingdom of God through your church, and that is a blessing to God. And you have given of your living, and you are worshiping. And so if you're sitting here and you're saying, well, pastor, I don't, I don't earn much money. I could barely make ends meet. Give that widow's might, as, as Jesus speaks of in the New Testament. 
Just give that, give, make it the first one. Make it the first penny, not the last penny. And be a blessing to God as you obey him, as you give, right? Every part does its share. Um, the church's relationship with her pastor. This is what we're talking about today. So I, I told you my responsibility to you, right? To teach and to preach, to lead by example. Um, and now we're going to talk about your responsibility to the lead Pastor, in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Again, there's these false teachers out there. Uh, there's a Facebook group that I more or less loathe called Men of God, and, uh, and there are so many false teachers in that Facebook group, and they are pulling new believers out of churches, and they're teaching new believers that belonging to a local church isn't biblical, and they're teaching new believers that there's no such thing as a pastor having authority over a body of believers. And, and can I tell you what the scripture says? Did you read it with me? What did it say? I'm with you, I'm among you, and then the Bible says that a pastor's over you in the Lord. That is pastoral authority, it exists, it's biblical. I know. It rubs all of us the wrong way to have somebody making decisions that we have to follow. But this is what the Bible teaches us. And this, by the way, is why it's so important to choose a pastor who is trustworthy. Because submission to leadership, whether it's in a church, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's at a, at a place of employment, submission to leadership is an expression of trust. That's what submission is. It's an expression of trust in the person who has been given the authority in that place. He goes on and he says, Esteem them, those who are over you in the Lord, very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. And can I tell you something? Last time I was here, I think I preached this, Be at peace among yourselves. And I got at least two texts from people who were not at peace with brothers and sisters in the church who approached the brother or sister that they were out of sorts with and made things right. Can I give glory to God for that? I mean, I'm telling you, it was like a Holy Spirit move where these people broke through some barriers and God poured out His Spirit and His blessing on those relationships. And as a pastor, I mean, I'm beyond blessed when, when the people of my church come together, confront in love with the aim of restoration, and God produces a miracle. It is so, so awesome. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And so the first thing the church owes to the, to the pastor is submission. And I, and I know I talked about that at length. If, if you weren't here about three or four weeks ago, you can go on our YouTube channel, EmmanuelHooksit.com. I'm sorry, YouTube.com slash EmmanuelHooksit, right? Name of the church, name of the town. And you can go back and watch those messages that you've missed. You can subscribe to our podcast through Apple or Spotify. Just look up Emmanuel Baptist Church or Emmanuel New Hampshire and you'll find us there and you'll be able to catch up. And I just want to rush through this because we really did talk a lot about it. Submission is a touchy subject, but the Bible teaches that pastors watch for your soul and that he must do it with joy, not with sorrow, for that would be unprofitable for you. And so submission is, again, biblical. It's not just found in 1 Thessalonians. It's also found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, which is what I just quoted to you. Okay, and then we talked about reasons why some people don't submit. And, and one was that uh, they, don't like being, <laughs> they don't like being under anybody, whether that person is trustworthy, qualified, they're rebellious. They want no one over them but themselves. And the reality is, you're going to have a master. It's either going to be God or the devil. Uh, those that think they're their own master, they're not. They're not. Uh, some are faint-hearted. They're afraid to commit to a church. And the Bible teaches me to warn those who are unruly, the rebellious. He tells me to comfort the faint-hearted. He teaches us to uphold the weak. There are those that are weak. 
And then I, I added this fourth one. Uh, some of you, some of you that are here today, you've been under leaders, under leaders that were not worthy of the position to which they were called. And I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but, but I know personally people that have been under a leader who did not exhibit the characteristics found in 1 Timothy and, and found in Titus and found in 1 Peter. And again, go back to the previous messages. I don't have time to jump into all of that today, but once again, when my time is up, you make sure the next guy coming in meets those qualifications. In fact, I'll help you with that. Prayer. So you, as a church, they, uh, the church owes their leaders um, submission, and they also owe their leaders pray, prayer. Pray without ceasing, the Bible says. Paul, the great apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he asks that, that the church would pray for him to have boldness to preach the word. He asks for prayers that he might be delivered from evil men. He asks for prayers that the word of God would have free course to run into the hearts of men whom he was preaching to. And so I, I would hope, church, that you've been praying through the week for your pastor teacher. I hope that you'd be praying for the week for the other, through the week for the other pastors and the other teachers in this church. You know, it's funny, when I was a younger guy and I wasn't the pastor, uh, I, I, would, I would be struggling with something and I would say, Lord, 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 would you please have pastor preach on this? And can I, dude, he would. I don't know why it should blow me away that God should listen to me, but he would, he would preach on the topic that I was struggling with, and it was amazing. Some of you all don't pray for your preacher, and you come into church, and you're like, I didn't get anything. And like the old saying, you didn't ask for anything either. Pray for the preaching of the word. Pray for the emotional strain of the pastor, the uh, the apostle, he said that in weariness and toil, toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides that the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. This is the apostle Paul, who is weak and I am not weak. Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation. This is, this is your pastor. And some of you shy away from sharing burdens because you think I have enough. And, and Paul just says, don't stop bringing your burdens. Don't stop sharing your burdens. Just pray that I can bear them. Pray that the pastor can bear them. I have an unspoken prayer request for a, a person in our church who is going through an incredible, incredible, unimaginable crisis right now. I got a message on Friday and just love this person, and my heart is, is, is just devastated for them. That's what a pastor should be. And I talked to my wife, and I said, it's probably going to be a busy next few days or weeks. And I love my wife because she ministers to me. And it was such a crisis that I was talking to her, and she said, Eric, you got this. You got this. And I don't know, babe, if you understand the power of those words to my heart. It was unimaginable. This is what pastors go through. We care for you when you're sick. We go to the deathbeds of loved ones. We share in your celebrations and weddings and births. And sometimes we counsel as your marriages are falling apart and you wait too long to get counseling. And, and then we are in the midst of it, and that is what a good pastor should do and what a good pastor should be. Who hurts, Paul says, and I don't hurt. So, so pray for the emotional strain. Pray for the spiritual strain. Uh, one of the hardest things about being a pastor for me is how often I fail, <laughs> be honest with you. My struggle with sin, my struggle with not being a great leader, my struggle with just different spiritual things and, and the spiritual warfare that is coming at your pastor. I thought I knew what it was like to be a pastor because I was an associate pastor for five years. I was full-time in this church. And I thought I knew what it was like to be a lead pastor and to, to, to endure the fiery darts that the devil throws at. He does it to everybody, right? He throws darts at everybody. And then I became a lead pastor and I realized that 
I didn't know what I thought I knew. And, and there's a spiritual strain that a lead pastor carries. And, and I beg for you to pray for me. Because there's, there's nothing more the devil would like in my life than for me to fall utterly. And so I do, I beg you to pray for that. Pray for my teaching ministry, my personal walk with God. Pray for my family. And you have been so wonderful to my family, by the way. I, I love you for loving my kids and my wife. Thank you so much. He goes on in that First Thessalonians chapter 5 that we read, and, and he said that you're to love and to esteem your pastor. I'm writing a book on marriage right now. I finished, uh, I finished the first draft of the first two chapters. First chapter is the Bible's more than a book. The second chapter is love is a verb. Uh, and so there's people that are like, well, I don't love pastor. Well, God told you you have to. So you, you have to. And if he tells you to do it, listen, he's promising you that he will empower you to do it. Well, my wife's unlovable. Well, you married her. But I mean... Um, Wait a second, but God commands you to love her, and, and so that means if he commands you to do it, he's going to enable you to do it, but church, this is, this is what we're supposed to do with our pastor teacher, is, is to love them and to give them respect and honor, not to put them on a pedestal, not to make them the second coming of Jesus Christ, but to recognize that the pastor, a pastor who is given by God to a church, is a gift to that church. It's a gift that that church should love and esteem, even when they have to admonish you. That's the hard part, I think. Sometimes the pastor has to, has to have some, some of that tough love. And it's during those times that I hope you remember this verse. We talked about being at peace among ourselves earlier. Hear love and live the word preached. Hear love and live the word of God preached. You say, where are you getting that from? Well, in 1 Thessalonians, what did he say? He said, despise not prophesying. Despise not the prophecies. Despise not the word of the living God. All I do is forth tell. I am telling forth what God has already said. I am not bringing you new information. I am sharing with you the prophecies and the scriptures that God has already written down. And he's telling you, church, don't despise them. Even when you hear the word preached and you hear something that you don't like, Folks, we bend to the book. We don't bend the book to us. And that's what's happening in churches all around the country today is they have decided to rip chapters and verses out of the Bible and if they don't rip them out of the Bible, they rewrite them. They misinterpret them intentionally. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking that there are former churches of Jesus Christ who have left the moorings of the Scripture in favor of the culture. And so the challenge to you is when you come into church on a Sunday morning, and we're going to start a Wednesday night Bible study soon, please read your emails. Um, we're going to be talking about the life of Jesus, living and learning the life of Christ. I hope that you'll join me. It's, it's, it's coming soon. It'll be Wednesday nights. Um, we hear, love, and live the word of God preached. When you come to church, don't just come simply and passively to sit under the preaching and then walk out the door as if you just went to see the latest Marvel movie. Oh, that was really great. Listen, I'm not competing with Iron Man. I'm not competing with Venom. I'm not here to entertain you. I can't compete with a multi-million dollar budgeted movie. All I do is I have the word of God. My worship team, as wonderful as they are, they're not going to compete with the professional bands that you hear on K-Love or on Rock 101, whatever you're listening to. But they're coming here to lead you into worship. And when you leave this church, don't forget what you've heard. Hear the word of God, love the word of God, and live the word of God. I love it when people take notes. I love it when people subscribe to the, to the podcast. I listen to my own preaching back again because I need it. I was watching myself on YouTube a couple days ago, and Trisha's like, oh, Eric, because she's got to hear me all the time. Well, the word 
is the only thing in the world that is true and trustworthy. I was, uh, I was listening to Paul David Tripp. You, you'll see some of his, his stuff on Right Now Media. Um, if you don't have Right Now Media, go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, and, and follow the links to Right Now Media. You have a free subscription, 10,000 or more Bible studies. Look up Paul David Tripp, and he was talking about the blindness of those that don't know Jesus. If you're here this morning, the reality is that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded your eyes. The Word of God is the only thing that is true and trustworthy. The culture is blind. They can't see the truth, even when the truth is staring them in the eye, because they are blind. They are lost. You know, uh, so many Christians are lamenting about the culture shift in our country today, where what Isaiah said, that which is wrong is called right, and that which is right is called wrong. They're lamenting about the sexual confusion in the world today. They're lamenting about the, the I've, I don't know, 72 different genders. They're, they're lamenting about these things in the world today, but folks, the world is blind. They're blind. The only thing that is true and trustworthy is the Word of God. That's it. And as believers, we shouldn't be shocked when we look at the world and they're chasing after rainbows and running away from the truth. They're looking for that pot of gold that doesn't exist. And they're digging themselves deeper and deeper and deeper. And then they find themselves in contradiction where what they what they were supporting runs into something else that they're supporting, and now their whole world is turning into this giant mud pie because they can't support both. It's, well, I look at it and I think, it's insane out there. The only thing true and trustworthy is the word of the living God. Turn with me now. We're going to talk about something that is the most uncomfortable thing. First Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> I'm going to rush through this, but not too fast. My defense to those who examine me is this. There are those people in this Corinthian church that were saying, Paul's not a real apostle. Paul's not powerful. Paul's a pansy. He writes a, he writes a good letter, but in person, <laughs> he is weak. If we had him in front of us, we would just dress him down and tear him apart. And that, of course, is not the case. I mean, this is the apostle Paul. And he goes, my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife? As do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. He goes on, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own, whoever goes, let me rephrase, Lord help me. Whoever goes to war at his own expense. Right? Tone matters when you're reading a question mark. Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat of its fruit? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does the law say them the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? No doubt for our sakes this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope, and should be a partaker of his hope. If we have sown in spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but we endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ." Do, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Now, what he's referring to is the Old Testament priests. And when people would bring a sacrifice to the tabernacle or to the temple, that is what supported the Old Testament priests. They ate of those offerings that were given is what he's trying to explain here. Even so, the Lord has commended Listen, he has commanded that those who preach the gospel, what does it say? Should live from the gospel. And what he's talking about is material 
things, material things. And I want you to look at verse 12, because verse 12 is an indictment on the people that he's talking to. Because God has commanded that those that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Pastors should be supported by the flock that they are pastoring. This is biblical. When he talks about the don't muzzle the ox that treads out the grain, that's so the ox could eat as he was, as he was tre- treading out the grain. He could put his head down and partake. When he talks about sowing in vineyard, you reap of those things that you sow. But Paul was giving an indictment to this church when he said, basically, we have the same right, but we have not used this right. Because that church was incredibly unhealthy. They didn't want to support Paul and Barnabas. Uh, There were enemies in the church. There were false teachers in that church. We did a whole study through 1 Corinthians. You'll have to go back on YouTube and find it. So, is it biblical that a pastor teacher should be supported by the church that he pastors? On, On men of God in that Facebook page, there are people saying there's no place in the scriptures that teach a man should be financially supported by the church. And I'm wondering what scriptures they're reading. So let's take a look at first that first, um, Lord help me, first Timothy chapter five, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Which we're talking about elders, pastor, teacher. All right. What is he saying here? How should you deal with your pastor teacher with, with double honor? Now, our, our church at one time, we, over, we, we overemphasized the honoring of the pastor. We kind of placed our pastor on the pedestal, and, and I'm not saying we worshiped our pastor, but we were like, we, oh, we went overboard. And, and when I took over, I, of course, corrected that. And of course, what happens sometimes is that pendulum swings much too far the other way. And so I'm here to tell you, whether it's me or the next guy coming, the Bible teaches the church that, first of all, what does the elder do? What does that say? He rules over the church. And what is he worthy of? Double honor, especially those that labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, now here's Paul quoting the 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 passage that he just quoted, except he's writing this to Timothy, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. And then he goes on, he says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest of those pastors may also fear. And this is important. A lot of pastors like the double honor part, and then they skip over these next two verses. Um, he, he teaches you that if you have a pastor who is in sin, first of all, it's got to be more than one person who's seeing it. You need a witness. And the reason why God says there should be, there should be two or three witnesses is because pastors are often under assault. And one person is not sufficient to render a verdict. But where there are two or three witnesses of the pastor's failings, you are to confront that pastor. If he doesn't repent, you're to rebuke him before all, that other pastors may hear it and go, whoa, I don't want that to be me, and straighten up. Does that make sense to y'all? That's what the scripture says. Now, I charge you before the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Jump over to Galatians chapter 6. Let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Are you, are you following the theme here, guys? Is, is it, it's more than one passage of Scripture that teaches the support of the pastor. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that He will also reap, for he who sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. When you sow financially into your local church and you support the ministers in your local church, you are are sowing spiritual seed. Now, I'm not a prosperity preacher. 
And I'm not going to tell you that for every seed you sow, you're going to get 10 seeds back. What I'm going to tell you is there is a spiritual law of sowing and reaping. And you will reap what you sow. Let us not grow weary uh, while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. And so I said all that uh, to, say, to say this, and this is the last thing I'm going to talk about on the pastor, is personal support, material support, financial support. Um, I've been blessed, by the way. This church has blessed me and my family. Uh, and so I want to, first of all, thank you for your support. But I want to remind you that as you read these false doctrines, these doctrines of men twisting the word of God or rejecting it outright, don't allow yourself to be deceived by something that sounds good and appeals to your fallen nature. Understood? Our fallen nature wants nothing to do with supporting our pastor. Our fallen nature wants nothing to do with giving of our living to worship the Lord through that. Our fallen nature wants to rule itself. Our fallen nature does not want to be ruled. And so when you're on these groups, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, or you just bought a book at the at the bookstore, your coworker starts talking to you and they start appealing to things or they start saying things that sort of appeal to your flesh. Folks, that should be a giant red flag. It should be a giant red flag. Now, I've been pastoring a manual. I'm probably going to mess this up. 12 years, I think. Something like that. How many times, who's been here with me the whole time, have you heard me preach on the financial support of the pastor? How many times have you heard it? A couple times in 12 years? And I say that to say this, folks. This, this is not my thing. <laughs> me and the Lord were talking. He put his arm around my shoulder over here by the wall, and he's like, come on, let's go do this. Why? Because it's in the Bible and it's biblical and you need to understand it because it is good for the church to care for the gift that God has given them. It's good for the church to care for the gift. It's terrible for me to have to preach this. So I keep thinking of the next guy. <laughs> thinking of the next guy. And again, I don't know who the next guy is yet, by the way. And I really would love for you to join me in praying for wisdom, so I might recognize who the next lead pastor of Emmanuel should be. I believe we should see that person within the next three or four years, who that next person will be. That's, that's my, now, I'm not saying he's going to pastor in the next three or four years. I'm saying we should recognize him within the next three or four years, and then I should begin training him. Now, how many of you are older than 40? Raise your hand. You're older than 40. Can I ask you guys that are older than 40, how fast does three or four years go by? Like yesterday. Like yesterday. My daughter Kirsten is turning 30 in January. I mean, she was just born. The older you get, you know, church, when I say three or four years, you're going to blink and it's going to be here. So what I want you to do is pray with me. Lord, reveal the next man. Reveal that next man. Show us who it is. Show pastor. Give pastor clarity of mind. Bring that person before him in an unmistakable way. I am imploring you, church, because I believe firmly that it is my responsibility as your lead pastor to bring to you the next person so you can confirm him or deny him. That is what the Bible has to say about the relationship between the church and her pastor. Do you know now why I hated preaching it? You should honor me. I also am a firm believer in this. If the Bible is saying that the man of God who rules over you is worthy of double honor, then he should be worthy of double honor. If I'm not leading and preaching and living looking like Jesus to you guys, I don't believe I deserve that. And so I try. 
Not perfectly, but certainly hope that your overall impression of this pastor is that I'm a man of God who has failings and most of the time is willing to admit them. What does the pastor do? He equips the saints for the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, we've ended every sermon in this series with these last few words. Share in the gospel ministry. Share in the gospel ministry. Uh, Talking about trunk retreat today, I hope that you will share in this gospel ministry with us. I'm going to be there mingling with the people that come, hoping to be able to have some good conversations. God has given me a gift that sometimes when I start talking to people, they just break down and start telling me all of the horrible things that are going on with their lives, and it gives me a chance to introduce Jesus in their life and what he's doing. So pray for me today as I minister, but join us. Share in the gospel ministry. You know, outside we have little invite invite cards. Grab a bunch of those. Invite people to church. Share your testimony. Join us on Wednesday night as we learn more about Jesus and how that can transform our lives. But folks, if you're just coming to church on Sunday morning, you are not doing enough. You need to be a Christian seven days a week, 24 hours a day. So as the worship team comes forward, I will give you my last slide. God is still building His church Will you trust him? You know, I find it interesting that the Bible says, know them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord. And I think that's really important because a lot of times we, 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 we see our preachers on Right Now Media and we see our preachers on YouTube and we... We hear our preachers uh, on podcasts, and, but we, we don't know them. They're not among us. And, and a lot of times we give people more honor than we give our local leaders because they're more eloquent, right? Or they're, I haven't really seen a better looking pastor, but maybe there's someone better looking and um, they seem to be more effective, but they're not laboring among you. I think if you're to give double honor and you're to love and esteem very highly, it's got to be someone that's among you. It's got to be someone that's among you, someone that you know, someone that that when you're breaking and and you need someone to pray for you, you you can call them or text them and they will be there with you. So so be careful where your loyalties lie. They should be right here in your local church with your local pastor and your local body, your brothers and sisters. You can see them and you can see my wife and I, you can see our relationship and you can see my relationship with my son and my daughters. And I was so blessed by Chloe the other day. We were, I don't know what we were doing. I was probably taking care of her when she had COVID. Uh, and, uh, And she just said something about how she loves that her and I have a good relationship. And I was like, aw. I mean, I, I think, I thought we did. But that my own kid recognizes it now that she's 20. And, and folks, you, you should be able to see that in your pastor. You should be able to see your pastor among you with his children and his wife. And you should see the love and the leadership there. You should, you should see this. And I, and, I, and I sincerely hope that you do. And I hope that you'll be careful of whom you're listening to and what you're reading because I do not want you to be led astray. When I answered the call to preach back in 1998, I recalled the very first time the Lord called me, which was when I was 18 in 1988. I was reading Jeremiah and he said, that he had called Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations. And, and Jeremiah said, Behold, Lord God, I'm, a, I'm just a child. I can't speak. And God said, Don't you dare tell me what you can and can't do. I'm paraphrasing. I'm going to do it through you. 
And that was when I was reading that, God said, I'm, I'm speaking to you through Jeremiah right now. I am calling you, Eric. And one of the things that he pressed down on my heart was this. I need to prepare this church for the judgment seat of Christ. This is where the, where the motto, bless God, bless others, be the blessing comes from. Because as you live in the love of God and the love of Jesus and you share that love and you look and live and, and, and love and, 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 and share and help like Jesus does, the Bible says you can have boldness in the day of judgment. You have confidence. And that's my goal for each and every one of you that are here that I preach to you on Sundays and Wednesdays and whenever else I get the chance to talk to you is that I'm preparing you to meet your Savior face to face so that you can hear Him say, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. That's my goal, man. That's my goal for you. For those of you that are here this morning, if you don't know Jesus yet, if you haven't had that time in your life where once and for all you recognize before a holy God, man, I've blown it. I'm a sinner by birth and by choice and, and I've tried to fix myself and clean up my act and I keep screwing up. I, I, I can't seem to figure this out. Well, listen, Jesus died on the cross for you because he knew that you couldn't figure it out and that you couldn't save yourself. He loves you. Oh, he loves you. I was talking to somebody just this week and and they were talking about a particularly de depraved sin. Now, I know we all say that all sin is alike. And listen, all sin will send us to hell. Most of the sin of really, the only sin that really sends you to hell is not believing on Jesus. But it was this particularly depraved sin. And, and we were talking about this. And, and she was really struggling to, to love this person in her life. But she said, it reminds me of the love of God. God doesn't give up on us. He doesn't stop loving us when we fail. And I said, well, you know, I think the reality is whenever we're confronted by a particularly depraved sin, whenever we're confronted by something so deep, our skin crawls, it should remind us of the immensity of the love of God and his hatred for sin. Because the only thing that could wash away that sin is the blood that flowed down the cross of Christ. And there is no sin that the blood of Jesus cannot cleanse if we will turn to him and confess and trust. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, listen, man, he loves you like that. And the well of his love never runs dry and the depths of his mercy cannot be plunged. And I hope that you'll trust him this morning. If we could have all heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment or two. And I, and I say this, that you might respect the person next to you. I know people don't like it, but folks, this is a chance for people to get real with God and have this conversation. If you were to die today, do you know for certain that you have a home in heaven? Uh, do you know for certain that God has saved you in, from the penalty and the power of your sin? Have you experienced a love like that, a forgiveness like that? Have you experienced that personal interaction with the God of the universe? If you haven't, today is your day. The Bible says now is the time of salvation. Today you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I need a love like that. I need a forgiveness like that. Would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I need the love like that. I need forgiveness like that. I see your hand. Anyone else? I, I, I need this. Listen, this is a once in a lifetime transaction between you and Jesus. Once we come to Christ, he never lets us go. Do you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh and that he died on the cross to take the penalty for your sin? And do you believe that death is enough? Make no mistake, God hates sin. 
He hates it so much, Jesus died for it. But he loves you, and he loves you so much that Jesus died for you. And he didn't stop there. He rose from the grave. So if you're here this morning, you're saying, I want that. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I come before you right now, a sinner by birth and a sinner by choice. Lord, I do wrong things. I don't even measure up to my own standards, much less your perfection. But God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I want to be changed. I want to be cleansed. I want to be forgiven. And I know that I can't fix myself. And so the best way I know how is I'm asking you this, Lord Jesus, would you please forgive me and save my eternal soul? Save my life. I'm trusting in you and you alone to do this. And Father God, Father God, I I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ and by his sacrifice, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, I ask that you forgive my sin and that you give me a new life once and for all from this moment on. May I be your child. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you've prayed with me this morning and you've asked Jesus to be your personal Savior, the Bible calls you a son and a daughter. And he will never, ever let you go, ever. If you're a believer here this morning and you have fallen into sin that you maybe thought you would never fall into, and you're looking in the mirror and you're full of self-hatred and you're saying, how could I do this Why did I do this? How could I ever experience the love of God again? How could I possibly ask Him? All I can tell you is the words that you're hearing, those are not the words of God. Those are the words of the enemy. Because God loves you and He is calling you back to Himself and He wants to forgive you and embrace you and hold you. And He wants to love you in a way that you once experienced many years ago or days or weeks or months. He is still here for you and you can't disappoint God because you can't surprise Him. When He chose you and you cried out to Him to be your Savior, He knew every single thing you were going to fail at. But He picked you anyways. Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.